An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Thank you, Will. You can be seated. If you've uh, got a bulletin on your way in, uh, you know that my plan today uh, was, with it being Father's Day, to address uh, Proverbs, all the Proverbs has to say for the family uh, about marriage and parenting. But um, as I looked over my notes last night, I realized that was really two sermons, not one. And uh, you probably have lunch plans and dinner plans. And uh, if, if I gave you all uh, of marriage and parenting in Proverbs, we were going to be here a while. So uh, I cut it in half. So that's to say, if you're a note follower, it's going to drive you crazy. I'm not going to fill in number the second and third point today. Just, it's going to just be blank. And Dan, Dan's going to have a, a heart attack. Dan, you can email me. Or you can just wait till next week. I might keep the same ones. I don't know. We'll see what next week holds. But uh, yeah, that was my plan to do Father's Day, marriage, and parenting. But we're just going to do marriage because, you know, that's supposed to come first. And then parenting we may do next week uh, if that continues to be the way the Lord leads. So that's my audible at the last minute. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the wisdom your word uh, gives to us. We thank you for uh, the discernment you give us for our lives. Uh, God, as we look to the complexities uh, of just living day to day, especially the complexities of um, being a family and following you in our families, God, we, we know we're desperate for your wisdom. God, oh, we pray today that the same uh, wisdom you gave to King Solomon and to many other uh, writers of the Bible, the same wisdom you sent in your Son, Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. God, we, we pray for that wisdom in our lives, uh, that we would follow you in all that we do. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amber and I uh, celebrated 10 years of marriage last month, which was pretty cool. We enjoyed celebrating that milestone. I know there's a number of families, a number of couples that are right around that same uh, milestone with us, uh, and a number of you that are well beyond us, and so we look up to you and admire you. And uh, so I, at, at 10 years, uh, I reflected on uh, how confident uh, I feel and how much of an expert I feel in knowing that I'm not an expert in marriage. I'm very confident in my 10 years of not being confident in having it all figured out. Uh, I feel very blessed in marriage. Amber and I love, we, we are so, so blessed in marriage. And we found that uh, we've had to learn the same lessons kind of over and over uh, as different seasons come and change. And one of the things that we feel most blessed in our marriage is that usually if we can just have enough time together, like things are gonna, we'll, we'll work it out. You know, like if there's a conflict or if there's uh, just something we're trying to work through, usually the biggest problem is just that we haven't had the time to actually sit down and talk about it. And as life has gotten busier, as kids have multiplied, man, they've multiplied, uh, you just get busier. You just get things get added to the schedule and it can, we can go weeks where we feel like we just are, have short conversations. So we've learned, you know, a hundred times now, 
If we'll just put a date night on the calendar, get the sitter, line it up, then we'll have time and we can just talk things through and things are so great. And so you would think by now, you know, I would have figured that out, but we're still uh, learning that, that lesson. I, I'm confident that the healthiest marriages in the world still need God's constant wisdom and direction. I, I don't think this side of Christ coming back, any marriage goes, I've arrived, we've got it, we've got it all under control. You may be very confident and you're going to stick it together. I'm very confident that Amber and I are never going to leave each other. I'm confident of that. But the day-to-day work, there's a, in every relationship, there is a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year work that goes into a relationship. And, and marriage is just built that way, that we need wisdom to be able to do it well. Uh, two people enter into a marriage usually pretty confident and excited with, with high expectations, uh, not usually realizing that we are all carrying an individual, in, indivisible, sorry, not indivisible like the country, invisible bag. We bring baggage into our, into our, um, I said like the country. Indivisible is like the Declaration of Independence, right? Anyway, you got it. Invisible baggage into our relationship and, and, and you bring all that stuff from your past and from expectations and, and, and sins and all kinds of stuff. You bring that all into marriage and now you've got two sinful people with all their baggage trying to work it out in a relationship. So it's no surprise that it's going to take some effort and some wisdom and discernment as you go through. And so often I think we, we think hey, it's just all going to work out, you know, and Hollywood always makes it look so easy. Uh, but it's not. we got to work at our marriage. The, the covenant of marriage is the good and right and holy place to, to work through that, uh, to work through our life and our sins and our past and all that. Uh, but that requires, mar- that requires a lot of wisdom to do marriage well. And I think part of what makes marriage so joyous is just that. It takes that kind of effort, that kind of intentionality, that apart from uh, working through all those struggles, there would not, the joys would not be as sweet if it were not for all the struggles that we work through together. So we're, we're preaching through Proverbs this summer and, uh, and taking it uh, kind of a theme at a time. And so like I said, my, my goal was to take the theme of family uh, and then next week do friends. And so now I just transitions to a three-week series on relationships, marriage, parenting, and then friends. So we'll get there. Um, but I, I do want to say uh, at the outset, I know many, many of you are, are married, um, but many of you are not, uh, either single or divorced or widowed. And so uh, I, I want you to know that this is not a message that only applies to people who are currently married. If you are young and intending to get married, it's really a good idea to have wisdom before you get into marriage. Uh, if you may re- be remarried at some point, really good to be smart, to be wise, to prayerfully consider what that looks like uh, before you enter into uh, a marriage, uh, no matter the life circumstances. Um, but even if you never personally marry, it's, it's worth considering what Proverbs says about marriage because our culture is attacking marriage in so many different ways from all different directions and shapes and forms, right? And so whether or not you're married, to be an advocate for what a good, healthy marriage is, a good biblical marriage is, that is a good thing, whether or not you're actually married or not. Uh, And then on top of that, uh, it it is really important to understand marriage because marriage is one of the primary metaphors God uses to describe His relationship with us, that we are the bride of Christ. And so to understand the institution of marriage is to understand our relationship with God. So that applies to everybody, whether married or single. And so I want you to know that this is not just 
uh, for those that are married and happily married. This is for all, all of us would benefit from being, under, being able to understand what a wise, good, holy, righteous marriage is about. As I was studying uh, the family in Proverbs all this week, I, I was able to, I, I found what I think is kind of an overarching principle for, for all these relationships, for, for parenting and for marriage. And uh, this isn't the only thing the Proverbs has to say about marriage. It's not the only thing that the Bible has to say about marriage. But I do think it's a very important principle for marriage. And I, and I think that if, if all of us took this principle to heart, if all of us built our relationships, our marriages especially, out of this principle, it would change and better our understanding and our, and our relationships uh, in marriage. And that's this. God's gifts of family are a delightful responsibility. God's gifts of family are a delightful responsibility. So I mean that to be exactly what it is. There's a gift from God. We delight in that gift. And that gift also comes with a very important responsibility. We'll look at this closer next week, but one verse that pulls this together uh, is more geared toward parenting, of course. Proverbs 3.12, but it holds the, this truth. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. So those two things are, are held together here. So he disciplines us, but why does he do that? Why does God discipline us? It's because he loves us, just like a father disciplines a child. So there is a, 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 a sense of, it says, a son in whom he delights. We delight in our children. We love our children. We, we, we gloat over them and just, uh, they're amazing. But that comes with a responsibility. We correct them. We discipline them. And over and over again, we'll see in the Bible, and we can just consider in our own lives, God's gifts are that way. They are a joy. They are a delight. And they rightfully come with a sense of responsibility. Uh, Proverbs 5.18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And if you think about it, it that holds those two things together. There's the rejoicing, the celebrating, the, the delighting of marriage. But it says, the wife of your youth. So apparently this is time past like that you you were young and now you're no longer young and so to be married to the same person you were when you were young took some responsibility you had to stick with it, it took some perseverance both those things are in line or in view there our delight and our responsibility there's a commitment that it takes to be able to actually delight in marriage there's a delight and a joy it can only come when we take responsibility for the gifts that God's given us. God's gifts of family are a delight and a responsibility. And we see this in all kinds of different ways in our lives. Do you, you remember when you got your driver's license? Do you remember? I remember my very first drive. Like, I dropped my parents off. I may have told this before, but uh, I dropped my parents off and I was driving to school. I can remember the freedom, the joy of driving myself. I felt just like I could conquer the world because I could go anywhere and I could do anything. There was just so much freedom with that. And of course, we know that with that freedom of being behind a wheel comes an incredible amount of responsibility that my parents preached at me all the time, right? The safety aspect, keeping yourself safe, protecting others, obeying the laws so you don't hurt anybody, not to mention paying for the gas to get wherever you're going to go and insurance and maintenance and all that, right? Driving is a delight and it's a responsibility. When we put Lois, uh, moved her up into a booster seat, she, you'd have thought that we gave her a car. I mean, she just thought it was the greatest thing imaginable because she felt so much freer. There was a freedom to that, not having that five-point harness thing that was like strapping her in like she was going to space, you know. It's like she felt so much freedom in that car seat. 
But, you know, we can't do that for Micah, not because he's not big enough. He's just about the same size as Lois. But we can't trust him to not just like unbuckle and run around the suburban like while we're driving, right? There is some freedom, delight, but there's also responsibility. You got to be able to do the right thing. This happens over and over with God's gifts and it happens in marriage. So God's gifts of family are a delightful responsibility. And here's how I think that shows up in marriage, the gift uh, of a spouse. The gift of a spouse we're called to delight in and defend. Delight in and defend this gift. That's what it looks like to take this gift and enjoy it and also be responsible with it. Proverbs speaks very highly of marriage. Marriage in, in the book of Proverbs is, is something that's, that's to be praised. It's, it's a very high thing. And that, that's, that seems revolutionary in 2021, right? I mean, our, our world is very low on marriage. It says, you know, it's very optional and there's all kinds of different definitions and, and it's under attack from all kinds of ways. And we may look at Proverbs and be like, see, the Bible uh, back then, they had it right. But, but if you go look at the people who were not following this, most of the people around this, it was just as revolutionary for Proverbs to be written the way it's written. In the ancient cultures, many times people, uh, they, they were prostitutes and prostitutes, they were even part of false religions. There were all kinds of ways that, that people viewed marriage that were completely unhealthy. Many times, people, polygamy was really popular uh, among all kinds of people. And even the guy who wrote down these words later on in his life fell into all kinds of sin, chasing after women who practiced other religions and had hundreds of wives. So it's revolutionary today, and it was revolutionary back then. What's preserved for us in Proverbs and throughout the rest of Scripture is this incredibly high and beautiful view of what marriage is. It's a gift from the Lord. Now, it's primarily written, as you read this, uh, from the perspective of a father to a son. But as you'll see, most of these uh, would apply the other direction to a, a, a wife, uh, a mother to a daughter, or anybody to a son or daughter, uh, as we'll see. So it's reading Proverbs uh, that's mainly male language, but you'll, you'll follow along. Uh, Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Uh, the gift of a spouse it is greater than any treasure of this world. No treasure on this earth, no amount of, uh, of fine diamonds or jewels or, or stocks or retirement accounts or, or land or hunting camps or a boat. Well, maybe a boat. No, no, not a boat. None of that will measure up to a spouse. All of it pales in comparison to a wife. Uh, Hebrews 9.14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. You can get financial gain from all kinds of different places, right? You could work really hard or it could just be given to you by your, by your parents and you just kind of sit back and receive it. But there's only one place that a wise, godly uh, spouse comes from, and that is from the Lord. God alone is in charge of that gift. Finding a spouse is no guarantee. It's no right. It's a gift. Proverbs 18, 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a gift if you have been given a spouse. Uh, Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. That, that crown is, symbolizes honor. So the picture there is, is, is having a, a godly spouse, having uh, an excellent spouse. It brings encouragement, it builds you up, it, 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 it helps you mutually build and encourage one another. That's the idea of a, a crown. 
That's the gift that a spouse is if you have one. So let me ask you, if you, you probably agree with that. You're not arguing with me. You're not throwing things at me. But do you, do you treat your spouse that way? Do you treat your spouse like they are a gift from God? Do you cherish them? Do you honor them? Do you respect your spouse? Do, do you buy presents or do whatever it is that expresses love to say, I cherish you as a gift from God? It, it is really, really easy in, in our relationships to very quickly only see each other's faults because we're sinful people and we got a lot of faults. And the closer you gift, get to other people, the more of their sin you're going to see. And so it can be easy to forget, to lose perspective, and to forget that this is a gift. Yes, an imperfect gift, but God is perfect, and He has given you this gift for a reason. And so it can be easy to fall into a place of just noticing each other's faults. But if we wake up every day recognizing this is a gift from God, it changes how we look at our spouse. It changes how we treat them. Proverb tells us that a godly, wise spouse, that is a gift from the Lord and is more valuable than anything else in this world. One of the primary blessings uh, that we have a spouse, in a spouse is that we have a friend. We have a friend. Proverbs 2.17 uses the word, ESV translates it companion. That same word, we'll see, I guess, a few weeks from now when we finally get to friendship, but that, that same word is used about a close, close friend two other times in Proverbs and says it would be wicked to, to, to separate these close friends. And that word here is used in Proverbs. And maybe we just take that for granted, but ancient world, they, they many times, they married just for the social status that it would do to them. Just to be able to move up a social ladder or to, to get some kind of gift or to have some kind of connection between families. And, and they would look elsewhere for companionship. But here is, even in the ancient world, Proverbs is elevating marriage as this companion, this friendship, this deep abiding friendship. That is close, a close, close friend. That's what marriage is intended to be. A friend is someone who is constantly there for you. They are consistent. They are not in some days and out some days. A friend loves you no matter what. A, a friend is sensitive to your needs. A friend listens as much as they talk, or not, if not more. A friend, a friend is careful to, to speak truth, but do it in love. A friend has your back when other people don't. And that's the gift we see in marriage. I have that of all the things in my marriage, this is what I most enjoy. Amber's my best friend. And that's the way marriage, I just delight in that, that I have a friend. I enjoy that in my marriage and I enjoy watching other couples who are close, close friends. I, I warned Aaron in autumn, I was going to use him, but uh, on, a, on a Mexico mission trip a couple years back, uh, you know, we're, we're away from the from family for a week. And uh, at one point one night, Aaron and I are talking about our wives, and I, I truly believe this is not just like a absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. Uh, but Aaron started talking about his wife, talking about Autumn. And, you know, I don't remember the exact words he said, but I, I can still picture the look in his eye when he just like smiled and kind of just shook his head, just like, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I remember what he, the, the topic, I don't remember his words, but the way he was describing her was how great it was to have this friend somebody who's a best friend that he could talk about anything, share all of life with, could be, be completely vulnerable with, to share everything and, and love each other through it all. And I just, as he talked about it, that, that's marriage. Friendship, a deep abiding friendship. That is what marriage is meant to be. Vulnerability that leads to a closer relationship. One, one of the biggest uh, ways we see, see that show up is that 
that, that friendship leads to a, a partnership, to, to doing things, put, doing tasks that God has called us to do. One of the most obvious, and why it was going to connect, it just has to connect next week, is parenting. Like, this is a job, a task you've been given that you are co-laborers in. Uh, and I love this. I mean, it's incredible. We, we take it for granted, but the ancient world just put so many outside the Bible, put men above women. And yet Proverbs puts them side by side, like synonymous. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teachings. So both of them are intellectual equals that have valuable things to pass along to the, to the next generation. Your father's instructions, your mother's teachings. Both of them, we're working together to teach and disciple our children. Proverbs 10.1 does the same thing. Uh, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So the idea is that father and mother together, they rejoice when their, parent, when their children succeed, and they're in sorrow. They mourn when our children have struggles and trials. Proverbs 31.20 describes the way a, a wife might minister to somebody in need, and something she and her husband would have to mutually uh, agree on. It's in Proverbs 31.20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. The, the, the beautiful picture we have here is that in marriage, we are given opportunities to love others out of the overflow of the love that we share together. I want to say that one more time. In, in marriage, we are given opportunities to love others together out of the overflow of the love that we share together. When we are pouring into each other and investing in one another and filling each other up, then we have love to share. And that, that primarily in our, in our home goes to our children, but it doesn't stop there to, to our friends, to our neighbors, to uh, our coworkers, to those in need. We, we're pouring out because we have somebody pouring in to us. That's a picture of being friends that leads to a deep abiding love. And it's so overflowing that we have something to share. And that kind of, that kind of marriage, that's, that's a delight. That is a joy. That is a a privilege. And that's the picture that, that, that Proverbs gives of marriage. The Proverbs calls us to see the gift, the joy that marriage is, and calls us to delight in that. It, it is a good gift, one to enjoy, a friendship and a partnership uh, in marriage that we get to enjoy doing life together. And that, that delight, that enjoyment, leads to intimacy, leads to, to deep abiding intimacy. Now, oftentimes, I know romantic comedies, they just paint you know, I don't know how to make movies, so I don't know how you would do it otherwise, but they, they, they portray this really simple, shallow relationship, and people just kind of like fall into bed together. You know, that's just how it goes in, in TV. Uh, but a real and healthy marriage is, is much deeper and much more complex in a beautiful way. The picture in Proverbs is of a friendship and a partnership that, that shows a full life of shared intimacy, that, that your whole life is, is intertwined deeply together. So you love each other in all kinds of ways. So it, that is involving all kinds of life, including in the bed, including your physical intimacy. Now, I, I do know the number, the age range in here, so I'll be careful, you know, but Proverbs 5, like if you study that and figure out what every line means, it'll make you blush. Like this is in the Bible that we as man and wife are supposed to be together in every way. The, the way it describes a woman is compared to a well. The way it describes a man is compared to a fountain. So Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Verse 18, let, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And verse 19, be intoxicated always in her love. And I skipped over portions. You can go read that uh, on your own. 
This is an honest and, and beautiful description of what marriage is intended to be, that you delight in and enjoy one another. And, and so many times uh, the world wants to describe sex as this really you know, cheap and, and you know, just whatever type of fun you know, relationship. It just, and it's primarily about self-gratification and uh, personal voyage of whoever and wherever and whatever. You know, like it just has a, such a crazy view uh, of sex. But unfortunately, the, the church sometimes flips all of sex to be a, a negative thing. And the only way it ever gets talked about is in youth, uh, you know, like the, the traditional, you tell the youth, here's all the things you can't do. You can't drink, you know, you can't smoke, and you can't have sex before you're married. You know, like it just gets the negative. And we never actually describe sex the way the Bible does as this beautiful gift as a part of a full life of intimacy within the covenant of marriage. And that's the way it's intended to be. So we're not, the Bible is not, fuddy-duddy about, about sex. It just says this is where it's meant to be enjoyed. So in Proverbs 5, it's very direct, too direct for me to read out loud, you know, fully. But you can, uh, can see it there. And as we've said with many of God's gifts, it's a delight to enjoy and to enjoy in the responsibility, the way God intended it to be. And the way he shaped it up, I just used that word, but the way he shaped it up is in this covenant, in this covenant relationship. So the responsibility is to delight in it and also defend it, to delight and defend, to see this covenantal relationship that we're holding together. Proverbs 2.17, the same word that uses the word, same verse that uses the word companion, also describes it as a covenant. Our marriage is a covenant. Your relationship is a relationship that it's a, it's a promise that you have made. That's why we do vows in a, a marriage. A marriage is not primarily about saying, I love you today. A mar- when you come together in, in a wedding, you're primarily saying, I will love you in the future, no matter what. That's what a vow is. It's a promise of future love. That you love you now and until, until God separates us, until death do us part. That's what marriage is. It's a promise. It's a, it's a commitment. And the word the Bible uses is a covenant. Now, that's a, a terrifying covenant to make because nobody knows what's ahead of us. You have no idea what's ahead of you when you commit to that in marriage. But it's also a radically freeing covenant promise to make. When, when you know you have that love, that's, this person has your back no matter what, it frees you from trying to earn love, and you can just delight in and enjoy it. But it still takes that daily decision to choose to wake up and say, I love you no matter what, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, no matter what. That, there's a unique richness that can come in a relationship that has that foundation, that has that confidence that no matter what, I'm not backing out of this. There's a, a beautiful uh, enjoyment that comes when we commit to that kind of relationship. Tim Keller uh, writes, The wise person knows that fulfillment does not come from seeking it directly, but is paradoxically a byproduct of keeping promises and sacrificial service. Do you want, do you want to be happy in life? Do you want real fulfillment? Do you want real joy? It doesn't go from just chasing your own pleasures. It goes by the way you get real joy, deep abiding joy is by keeping promises and by, try, try, by using what you have to serve other people. Sacrificial service. There's a, a warning in Proverbs. It's very honest. Proverbs is very honest, brutally honest, about, about what it looks like when we are wise and when we are foolish. So as many high, awesome things as it has to say about marriage and the gift of a godly spouse, it has just as many, if not more, warnings about if we go against that plan, against what God has. And so when, when the Bible calls us, when I'm saying to defend our 
marriage. It's also to warn against, against ways that we could get, uh, go astray from our marriage. Proverbs 5.20, that same chapter says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? 21, for a man's ways are uh, before the eyes of the Lord, and as he ponders all his path. Proverbs 28, 27, and 28 says, For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. The, the forbidden woman in Proverbs comes up over and over again. And it's, it gets kind of all kinds of different descriptions, but it's clear it's anybody other than the woman you're married to. <laughs> like everybody else is a forbidden woman for the man to seek. So to defend our, our marriage is to safeguard our relationship, that we're not seeking intimacy, physical or emotional, with somebody other than our spouse. To be really careful to safeguard that. There's a couple ways that Proverbs specifically describes uh, defending a godly marriage. And it's worth noting, probably especially if you're not yet married and wanting to be one day, because like we said, to be wise in choosing who to marry. Uh, but if you are married, these warnings are about not being this person in marriage. Uh, four times by my count, Proverbs warns against being quarrelsome, a quarrelsome wife. And this may be one of the kind of humorous parts you laugh at when you read through Proverbs. But this is what Proverbs 21.9 says, It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Again, in 21.19 it says, It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And as we said, I think that can go both ways. The wife would be just as miserable uh, if it was the husband who was quarrelsome. The, the message is that the marriage is meant to be a place of safety, of protection, and of building each other up. And if we are quarrelsome, that is kind of nagging, is maybe the word we would use more often. If our, if our words are, are bitter and they're sharp and they're pointed and they're tearing down, then, then it's like not having a roof over your head. It's sitting out on the rooftop in a storm. It's out in the desert underneath the sky. You don't have the, the, the safety, the protection. You are being beat down. Usually when, we are, when we're using that kind of language, the, when we're nagging, when we're, we're, we're using bitter and hard words, and we're, we're fussing at our spouse, it's because something's wrong and we're trying to change it, right? We're trying to change who they are by our words. But we all know that doesn't work. Quarreling, nagging, using bitter language to our spouse, that never actually brings about the change we want it to. Quarreling doesn't build up, it tears down. It doesn't edify, it erodes. Listen to Proverbs 27, 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. What one nagging comment, one bitter thing you say to a spouse, it's not going to ruin them. It's like a drop of rain. But doing a single drop over and over again is a form of torture, right? We've, we've got to be careful with our words and careful with the way we speak to our spouse. To not be quarrelsome, but to be loving in our words. So what, uh, this is what a foolish spouse does. Proverbs 12, 4, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The wisest of women, this is 14.1, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own husband tears it down. So there, there is a, as much as there is a high praise in Proverbs uh, of a great marriage, there's also a very, very strong warning about not entering into a marriage that is unwise and not being an unwise, unloving, ungodly person within a marriage because it can deeply, deeply hurt you, as many of you know far, far too personally, to be in a relationship where you are beat down 
Because it, you, you're a friend. You're intimate. You, you, you are in each other's lives at a deep level. And to go against that is like rottenness. It says like rottenness in your bones. It is at the core of you to be hurt by somebody you are married to. So there's a warning. Defend, defend your marriage. Seek holiness. Seek purity. Seek wisdom. Don't be a fool. Don't be a nagger. Don't be harsh with your words, but be wise, be upbuilding, be loving. How, how do you do that? That sounds easy for me to say and much, much harder to do. What, what's the key? How, how do you actually live that way? How do you actually defend and delight in your marriage? What does that look like? What's the, what's the key? Well, the world would tell you it's just physical chemistry. As long as you've you know, got things figured out physically, that you'll be fine. Well, Proverbs warns against that. Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. It's a good picture for you. Love that. Proverbs 31:30 gives us the answer. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There's the answer. You want a relationship where you're encouraging one another, where you're building each other up, a relationship where you're deep abiding friends where you're able to partner together in life, where you're able to raise children as the best we know how, where, where you're able to enjoy a, a, a firm covenant that you're never backing out of, there's only one way to do that. And it's the theme that goes all the way through Proverbs. Fear the Lord. Any relationship not based on Christ, any relationship that's not seeking God together will not have the strength it needs to persevere all of life's trials. They may stick together, but they won't be honoring God. The only way to truly honor God and to follow Him is if you're both fearing the Lord. Charm is deceitful and beauty fades, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the key. That's what holds a marriage together is fearing the Lord. Making a covenant in marriage between a man, a woman, and God. Making that promise to say, I will not leave you. And I'm going to keep seeking your joy and your satisfaction in marriage that's where deep, abiding love and enjoyment comes. God's gifts of family are a delightful responsibility. Pro Proverbs lays out that, that wise path, this wise path of a godly marriage. And it comes by putting God first, by fearing God. And, and I think it's important to note that for everybody who has done that well, probably in this room and in the world definitely, for everybody who's done that well, there's at least 10, if not 100 people who have not, who have failed. We, we have a, a terrible track record, starting with me right here, on, on honoring our spouses and fearing God, putting God first, and letting that lead into the way we love our spouse. So for all of us, me included, who have failed in marriage in small or big ways, you, you need to hear this. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I'm confident that even as I've read this, and parts I wasn't even aware that maybe hit you. I'm confident that for all of us, there have been hard things in our own marriages or in marriages around us that, I, that as I read about marriage and, and wisdom, it felt a little bit like salt in your wounds because you've got some, some deep wounds, whether it be from yourself or from somebody else, that as we walk through what marriage should be, it just, it just hurts because you've been hurt by marriage not being what it should be. But for all of us, I, I want you to hear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What God is doing in our world, He is bringing redemption and reconciliation to all the places where marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. And the way He's doing that ultimately is that He is preparing us, the church, 
to be his bride. All the places where our personal marriages have failed or where our parents' marriages have failed or our children's marriages have failed will one day just be ways that God has redeemed and restored to bring us into his family and to make us his bride. Proverbs 21, 1, I mean, Proverbs, Revelation 21, 1 to 3. This is the vision that John has. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. But I saw the holy city of Jerusalem, holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God is coming back. And he, when Christ comes, he will, he will have prepared us and adorned us perfectly as his spouse. So all the failures, all the pain, all the sorrow, it is here and deep for a, a lifetime. But when Christ comes back, he will heal all our wounds and restore all the places where we've been broken so that we can come into his presence as his perfectly prepared bride. I, I don't know what your, your hurts are. I don't know what your pains are in marriage. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, if we fear the Lord, then he can use even our past to his glory and for our ultimate joy in Christ. There's no condemnation if we are in Christ. He made a covenant with his people, and he will keep it. We may fail at our covenants, but God has promised he will keep his covenant. He loves us no matter what, not because we're pretty, not because we're a gold ring, because we're really just a pig's snout, you know. We got all kinds of ways that we are not pretty. And yet God said, I made a promise to you that I'll never leave you and never forsake you. If you're in Christ, if you believe in him, you can hold fast to that covenant. That we're the bride of Christ, and he loves us through it all through thick or thin, no matter what. God's gifts of family are a reflection of His love for us. And it's a responsibility we have here on this earth. And it's a joyous, delightful responsibility.